Welcome to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. This is a show about how to build an esports business from literally anywhere in the world, where each week we showcase the journey of one inspiring esports entrepreneur and learn how they solved a particular problem that everyone will ultimately face. And now, to your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard, the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I'm definitely not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. The goal of the podcast is to talk to esports entrepreneurs from all around the world to hear their stories, how esports can create James, create <laughs> create jobs, and and maybe inspire other people to do the same. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Today, I'm really happy to have Ido uh, um, Brosh. The esports guy from Israel. I like I like that title. He's the VP Europe of the International Esports Federation. He's also the president of Esports Europe, plus the founder and CEO of Winzard. We're going to talk about all of that. Welcome, Ido. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. So where are you at today? Uh, right now, I'm in Tel Aviv. I'm uh, uh, finalizing my uh, suitcase because tomorrow I'm flying to the European Championship in Romania in Oradea. Um, we'll be there for a week. It's a very exciting event that I'm uh, participating in. And, uh, yeah, so kind of got me on the, uh, last minute. Great. No, no, that's good. No, because I saw that you do a lot of things in Europe and yeah. you're from Israel. So mm-hmm. uh, you never know where people are, are calling in from here. Now it looks like you got, you got a nice gaming chair there. So you, you, thank you. You're serious about this stuff. Well, I am, you know, um, um, I'm 27, so it's no longer uh, that young, but I used to be that young guy. You know, when I started, I was 16, when I started uh, organizing events and doing competitions in esports and everything. Um, but uh, but it's been a passion for me um, ever since I I am an, I was an, starting to be an adult. So so you know I I carry it on with me. I play video games and and competitive video games all the time, and uh, I I continue to put emphasis on esports and gaming to continue to be part of my life, my personal life, and I believe it's really helpful for me also in the professional life. Can you so? Can you talk a little bit about going from starting out as a player and you know, being more of a participant and then shifting over to being more in the business side of esports? Well, um, you know, I, I was never much of a good player, to be honest, in any game that I play. When I was a kid uh, or a teenager, I used to play uh, games like uh, Counter-Strike and I started playing League of Legends where, when it just came out. And, you know, I still play League of Legends today. Um, and we played all sorts of games with friends and everything. Uh, we, we set up teams. We started participating in those kind of uh, community tournaments that uh, were, were hosted uh, back then. We're talking about uh, eight, ten years ago. Um, and I was never much of a good player, but, but here in Israel, you know, it's a very small country. And uh, I really enjoyed playing League of Legends with friends. And, and the thought occurred to me when I was 16, why can't we create a community around this thing, you know, and bring more people that we don't know through the internet. Uh, Facebook was then not as popular, so it was still, you know, websites and forums and, and community boards and stuff like that online. Uh, and I set up a, a League of Legends Israeli fan website, uh, and we started hosting tournaments and discussions and, and events, like physical events where we would meet each other, uh, like uh, with cosplay and everything. Uh, and it really became a huge thing. And, and, and suddenly, you know, uh, I learned, I, I became more experienced in organizing these kind of events. 
And then I got a phone call from the president of then president of the Israeli Sports Association. And he said, uh, look, uh, we see what you do with League of Legends. Come to the association. Help us do it uh, uh, with League of Legends as well as other games and, uh, and promote esports in Israel. And, you know, uh, it's all voluntary work because it's a nonprofit. But I said, yes, let's do it. It's a passion. It's what I want to do. And that, uh, that was the point where I uh, got connected and joined the Israeli Sports Association um, and continued to work mainly on League of Legends tournaments and, uh, and you know, uh, some other games that I, uh, I wanted to support as part of the association. Um, and for us, you know, as I mentioned, Israel is a very small country. So the association played a very important role in promoting esports in Israel. Um, because it provided this kind of framework to, to everyone that wanted to volunteer, but didn't really know how to get started, you know? And also because it was a member and is still a member of the International Esports Federation, which hosts a world championship for nations once a year. And you can send a team to that competition. So it was our basically only international competition that we could get Israeli players to participate in at the time. Now I am very fortunate to say that we have Israeli players participate in the top uh, professional level of almost any sport. Um, so that's uh, kind of where it started. No, no, that's, that's a great story. One of the things I hear you talking about are the different associations that international and, and local. Could you talk a little bit for our audience? Because people who are just starting out in esports, maybe just starting out or even just thinking about creating a team, creating a tournament and so on and starting an esports career of some sort, they're going to find a, a lot of different organizations out there, non-governmental organizations out there. Can you talk just in general, not about any specific one, but what role do those associations at all different levels, what do they play in the industry? Well, that really depends on the country that you are uh, you are participating in. Uh, in some countries, especially in East Asia, the associations are very prominent in the uh, let's say the daily life of the esports industry. Whereas in Europe and in uh, North and South America, it's uh, it's getting started, and and I think the the roles there are more focused on the grassroots level of esports, so the amateur level, and less on the professional side, which is heavily. Uh, regulated and uh, heavily controlled by the game publishers and the tournament organizers. Um, you know, it's it's a new movement. It's a new movement that I like to call the institutional esports movement that is trying to connect between the, let's say, the old world, and I'm not saying it in a bad way, I'm saying the old world of sports, of government, of politics, and the new world of esports. So try and bring those resources that are being given to all the other kinds of sports and educational activities within the EU, in the US and Latin America, to bring those resources to esports as well, first in the grassroots level, so we can enable people with less means participate in esports, you know, uh, uh, start to develop themselves within the industry and maybe become a professional player later on. But it also connects to the professional level because this is kind of creating a very, very sustainable base uh, from which esports players can rise and fall to and it becomes much more sustainable and much more uh, and something you can rely on as an industry because right now esports is a very decentralized industry. Uh, basically, everyone does what they want to do, and, and parts of the world, like East Asia, is working very differently from North America, for example, and so on. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to recognize the fact that, you know, at some point, as an ind any, any industry in the world, any movement in the world grows and matures, 
it becomes more connected to government, becomes more connected to, to, the, to the font of where those resources are coming from. And you can use those resources to create really meaningful programs for people that are not coming from uh, the large countries with, uh, which has a lot of money, like uh, the US or Germany. But even for the small countries, Israel is not the only one. Actually, the majority of countries around the world do not enjoy the same benefits as uh, uh, those uh, top uh, economies that are very large and are capable of supporting a lot of activities. So this is what, what, what we're trying to do. Wait, you, no, I think you're describing it really well. One of the things I really like hearing you talk about is that you're trying to tap into resources that are offered to other parts of society. And, you know, you talk about sports, you talk about education, right? Traditional sports. And it's like, why not ask to have those um, ha uh, applied to esports as well, which I think is a great approach to have. Well, um, uh, that's what we're basically, uh, that's the story, basically. We, what we want to do is we want to create a world where, you know, of course, when you, you live in a country uh, like the US, for example, you have a lot of programs developed by either for-profit entities or non-profit entities uh, that starts with education and continues to the competitive sphere, you know, this competitive sphere in order to create some sort of a, a, a journey from being a kid that loves to play video games to becoming the professional superstar uh, on the world stage. Um, those kind of programs are, are extremely crucial to create a sustainable sport, but um, they cannot sustain themselves in the smaller countries and the smaller economies. Uh, in those countries and economies, you very much depend on the support of the government and local government like municipalities and so on in order to create those educational activities because the commercial um, uh, sustainability is simply not there. There are not enough people to, to create this kind of, uh, programs. And, um, this is why you can see that in other types of sports, there are a lot of smaller countries that uh, succeed extremely well in certain sports. Um, this is because they have this kind of infrastructure, the, the national and local or national infrastructure that supports the sport from the grassroots level all the way up to the top professional level. This is something that doesn't exist in esports right now. And in the few places, in the few countries where it does start to, you know, to manifest itself, it mostly uh, revolves around commercial interest. So this is something that you cannot bring and, and create as a sustainable solution in a smaller country. That's why you have to create this connection between the institutions uh, of, of, you know, of government, of sports, of policy to the esports world in a way that, you know, the institutions are always viewing esports uh, as a kind of a, a in, the, in the good case, it would be a child's play and in the bad case, it would be a, something that promotes violence sometimes. Um, and the esports world view the institutions as something that is very old, that it belongs to the old world and they do not understand esports, so we don't want to talk to them and so on. And our, our role is to create this kind of bridge between those two worlds, saying there are a lot of educational and sports values in promoting esports. This is the, the thing that we explain to those institutions. And on the other hand, we explain to the esports guys, in order for the industry to be fully sustainable, we need a very large base of grassroots level esports. This can only be created if you have the support of, uh, of the sports institution, of the government's institution, because they will provide... Um, resources every year it doesn't it will not depend 
on the, uh, revenues from, uh, from you know, uh, game sales or ticket sales or whatever. It will not depend on those things. It will depend on the fact that it brings educational value to the country so they will support it financially. And this when is I, extremely I, important to create sustainable industry like esports. What I hear you saying is also there, there's something in it for both sides. There's something in it for the government. Absolutely. There's something in it for the esports. So why not work together? How are most of these non-governmental organizations, how are they funded? Is it uh, sponsorship? Is it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, when you look at an, uh, an NGO, in, in any case, it's usually uh, uh, commercial sponsorships, government support, and donations. Those are the main three um, things. For associations, usually donations are out because usually donations is given to organizations that uh, pursue charity work, uh, which is not the case with the sports association. Um, so it's usually relied on membership fees, sponsorships from commercial sponsors that are interested to sponsor, for example, the national team or whatever. And of course, government ministries. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I, now, most organizations seem to also create their own tournaments, right? Um, it, it really depends, again, on, on, on the way that the organization is structured. For example, in Israel, we usually don't organize ourselves. Uh, the Israeli Sports Association is not uh, conducting or producing esports events, except the one national championship, uh, which happens once a year. And all the other competitions in Israel are organized by third-party organizers, which are, uh, they can be NGOs, they can also be commercial entities that are getting recognized by the Israeli Sports Association. They get some sort of stamp or, um, or certification, let's say. So the players will be comfortable knowing that this organizer uh, fits into certain criteria that we've established. Um, and we also support them, you know. Uh, um, but the way that we are structured is uh, modeled after what the Minister of Sports in Israel requires us in order for us to be able to, to get funding from the Minister of Sports. So this is not the case in other countries. So in other countries, there are different criteria and also different roles for the association, which may be also organizing tournaments on themselves. I know that in Korea, for example, the Korean Esports Association is a very powerful national uh, esports organization, and they uh, do both. They organize and they also recognize uh, third-party competitions um, or first-party competitions if it's a competition that is uh, done by the publisher of the, ed of the game. Um, so, so there are a lot of very interesting models, um, and what I am very interested to look at is is not uh, what is the correct model of how you do it because that different that the, there is a big difference from country to country and what works here may not work in another place. What I'm interested uh, what I'm interested to look at is specifically the collaboration model between countries. So how do you uh, create a, a you know cultural ex exchange and collaboration between different countries around the world? Um, using esports as a tool, as a bridge to do those collaborations. Um, and this is also something that I think is interesting because this can also help connect the stakeholders within the esports industry uh, to connect them to be closer together. Because, you know, as I mentioned, esports is a very decentralized industry right now. Uh, there is no one regulator. Uh, governments don't know how to process or how to what would be their take on esports um, and everyone uh, in the industry seems to be afraid of, of, of uh, regulation or of recognition um, and and in in one way maybe rightly so because this can impose certain restrictions or limit potential but if we do it right it can actually increase potential and bring a lot of sustainability to the industry so I think the solution to every problem is usually to talk and to communicate 
and uh, usually you reach a lot of very, very meaningful solutions that eventually will benefit the little guy, the, the one amateur kid that wants to play esports for fun, and maybe they have talent, they can become more than, more than that. What, what I, yeah, what I like hearing you talk about is the collaboration model is something that, that is shown to work. And it's like, I always relate it back to esports. I mean, esports is a team sport. I mean, for, for the most part, there's certain games that aren't. But people in esports are used to forming a team and going out and doing a task. So it's it, it, it kind of lends itself to that. Um, yeah, in all of the different cultures that are also going to add to the mix. We were talking to uh, Mitch Esquera as an example uh, on an earlier episode of, uh, from Galaxy Racer and talking about well, how do you how do you work with different languages? How do you work with different um, cultures around the world? And it's like, hey, it's just part of the, it's the nature of the beast. I want to talk a little bit about the International Esports Federation in particular. Now, you're the VP Europe. Could you describe exactly what, what their mission is? Well, the International Esports Federation, or the ISF uh, for short, was established in 2008 in South Korea. Um, it was the first organization that was really a non-profit organization in esports that was dedicated to promote esports as a sport. Um, and now they have uh, 123, if I'm not mistaken, uh, nations that are members of, of that uh, global body. And um, the International Esports Federation main goal is to promote esports as a true sport, you know, beyond barriers of language or, or disability or race or nationality and so on. Uh, and to become uh, the, the you know the, the largest sports on the, uh, the largest sport on the planet, um, so they do their own world championship and other events. We actually hosted the ISF World Championship in 2021 in Eilat in Israel, um, and uh, you know it's a very interesting event because we also had some countries that do not currently have uh, diplomatic ties with Israel coming to to the event. Um, as well as the first uh, ever sports delegation from the United Arab Emirates to ever come to Israel was in this event. So um, it's 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 a, you know it, it shows it it really shows how esports can bridge between people between culture and how collaboration models can work. And the ISF continues, you know, it works with the with the governing bodies or, or governments uh, like the European Parliament. Also, Esports Europe is doing that, um, and the UN and uh, the Olympic Committee and GAFE and all the other bodies in order to to really explain the story and share the story and pump the story and explain the story of why esports is important, why it's good, what are the values of esports, what are the benefits of esports. Um, and you know, when you do that and you also showcase the commercial success of esports, you see the amazing events that the, the tournament organizers are doing, then, then it really makes the, it, it really makes, uh, people not from the industry connect the dots and see, okay, there are nonprofits that are also commercial potential there. So there is a lot of stuff going on. And I think this is why ISF work is very important. Um, because it it has a really deep focus on education and on on you know on, on doing this kind of political work that nobody wants nobody seems to want to do and it's yes. important to do it yeah the, also you're um you're involved with esports europe as another organization could you describe what what they do and how they are different from the from the uh, international organization 
Well, Esports Europe was established in the European Parliament in uh, Brussels in 2020. I was uh, actually one of the the founders of the organization. Uh, I uh, wrote much of it. Sorry, much sorry, of it. just to, sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt you, but I just think it's super important. It it was actually funded by the European Parliament. It was not founded by the European Parliament. It was physically founded. Uh, in the building yes. of the European Parliament, because some of our members in the esports Europe are well connected to to members of the European Parliament. So we have, nice. uh, and by the way, still we have ongoing discussions. Um, I was initially a board member there, and uh, I was recently elected as president of the organization. But you know, for me, I'm I'm I may be a president, but there is an entire team of very talented board member and and people that are very you know, interested, keen, and uh, and feel a lot of passion toward the organization. And what we want to do is basically what ISF does, but on the European level, is to basically share the story, you know, with those institutions, with government uh, organizations, with uh, the Olympic Committee, and so on and so on, of what esports is, what it can become. And especially with esports, Europe is also what kind of role esports plays in Europe. You know, Europe is the number two market for esports around the world. It's a very significant market. We want to promote it. We want to make sure that it retains its global uh, position within esports. Uh, and also, you know, we want to ensure that uh, the, the people of Europe and the governments of Europe, and I'm not just talking about the European Union, but, you know, Europe as a whole and also the European neighborhood, and I'm including Israel and Turkey and Azerbaijan and, uh, and Armenia and Russia and so on. I want everyone of them to understand the potential of esports and to start investing in esports, investing in educational program, investing in competitive programs, host cities, starting more host cities to be interested in hosting commercial or not commercial esports events, and so on, to increase the, the investment that is coming from the government sector. Now, that's, uh, it, it's interesting how many different organizations there are out there, how many you, you touched on here. And really, anyone anywhere in the world that's looking at building an esports operation, there's probably an organization that can help them out. Or what I've also heard you talk about, almost everyone can find a model to follow. If you're in a country that does not have a very strong um, esports federation or operation, and that's something that you would like to uh, uh, change, there are so many models out there to follow to be able to do that. One of the things that I also wanted to talk about here was um, you were talking about a little bit earlier how you thought that you know, bringing teams to Israel was, was helped bridge the 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 political divide. We don't talk about politics here yeah. necessarily on uh, on the podcast, but we're, we'd be crazy to think that politics do not impact esports because they, they impact everything in our lives. Can you talk a little bit more in detail about how you see um, esports being able to bridge divides that maybe can't be done elsewhere, because you have a you have a very unique position there, being in Israel. Um, yes, absolutely. I think that you know, first of all, I agree with you completely. Politics in, uh, are involved everywhere and impact everything. And I'm not. It's not just the the you know the the uh, geopolitic uh, geopolitical uh, level, but it's also the politics within the industry. You know, because politics are everywhere. Um, and you know, being in Israel, you know, uh, I I understand the topics that you want to avoid, but I think it's uh, for me it's really interesting to look at what kind of potential esports has to connect between people that are not necessarily 
um, are, are well connected as, as nations, as people, you know, people in dispute, um, especially when you're talking about the Middle East, we're talking about a region that has suffered from a political dispute. This is an objective statement. And um, what I've seen when we hosted the ISF World Championship in Israel was, first of all, a lot of young people from all over the world that were exposed to the event. And this event was a, had an exposure rate of about half a billion people all over the world, especially in Asia. Um, this really helped us show Israel in a different image. And we didn't talk in this event at all about uh, politics or about, you know, uh, disputes and so on. We just showed tourist destinations and we showed cultural stuff uh, from Israel and so on. And people started to think, okay, this is not just a flag and some name that we see on the news, but this is our actual real people that are living there with their own culture and language and everything. And this helps humanize things and understanding that the differences between each other, between us and them, is not that it's it's not that big. We are all people in the end. We even speak uh, uh, a very similar language. And another thing that I can share with you is that uh, in the Israeli Sports Association, following the success of this event, we started looking at how we can uh, host more events here that are focused specifically on Middle East countries and countries which do not have direct ties with Israel or have cold ties, let's say, with Israel. And I'm talking about, and I will name drop, I'm talking about Jordan, I'm talking about uh, the UAE, of course, and, and Bahrain. And, and I'm talking about Egypt and I'm talking about also the Palestinian uh, uh, territories and Palestinian people. How can we host them in Tel Aviv for esports game and avoid talking about the disputes? But of course, there is a, a lot of stages to talk about the political disputes between people. But how can we showcase to the world, not with words, but with action, um, um, that people can play together and work together, be friends, even if they are coming from two sides of a, of a, of a conflict. And I can't think of a better way to do it than in esports, because in esports, there are already established friendships, already established connection between Israelis and Palestinians and Jews and Arabs and, and, you know, people of otherwise different backgrounds. Uh, it's already established. They are already playing together on the same servers in Europe or in the Middle East. And then there is no reason for those people who already know each other via the internet to just come and, and play together physically in, in the same city, you know, and this already happens uh, when we see Israelis and Iranian guys uh, go to the bar together in an esport event, you know, after the, the games are over and this has happened a lot. And um, there is no reason to not take it to the next level and to create this connection. This is something that is important to me personally as, a, as, a, as an agenda, but it's also, I think, important because it demonstrates, esports helps us demonstrate that the difference between people is not that big. The gaps are not that big. They exist. Nobody says they are not, but it, we are all humans in the end, all of us. And, and, you know, when you play together and I speak Hebrew and the other guy speaks Arabic, but at the same time, we both play League of Legends and we both know what mid lane and feed and, and ganks mean, all of those terms, you know, we speak the same language. And when we speak the same language and we play do the same activity together, it connects us in a powerful way. It, it creates a bond that is very hard to break. One of the things that we hear all the time on the podcast is that gaming is its own language and it's that that is really true now that's re really well put i'm glad you you're glad you, you put that together what's the esports 
industry looking like in Israel right now? I know that Israel, one of the more high tech centers of the of the world, is it also one of the, the um, game development centers? Also, uh, there are a lot of game development companies in Israel. Um, uh, unfortunately for me, because I'm not a fan of the medium, uh, most of them are uh, mobile game developers, so they are less. Uh, inclined to touch eSports as, as, uh, because you know mobile gaming in eSports is uh, less developed than PC gaming in eSports and so on or even console gaming in eSports but we are getting there um, there are very big companies like Platica and Plarium there are smaller companies also that are developing uh, games in Israel and they are worth a lot of money and they have been sold multiple times and some of them are even uh, traded in the in, in New York and um, You know, it's a, gaming is a big thing in Israel. I think that it's only a matter of a couple of years until it becomes a full-scale cultural phenomenon. It already started. I think it will take a couple of years more because right now the Israeli Sports Association is in the final stage of getting approved by the government as an official sport. That means that the government will recognize e-sport as an official sport and then starts funding it. And when, once that happens, then you will see much more educational activities happening in schools um, and the army will recognize it, mean, meaning that soldiers that are uh, participating in tournaments and so on will be allowed to do it, you know, uh, uh, and given the proper uh, vacation time or whatever they need to do it and so on. And this uh, will make it much easier for uh, people to focus on eSports careers. And this will really kickstart everything. So I think it will take uh, two, three more years, but we will get there because, you know, the money is already there. The companies are already there. The technology is there. You know, Israel is a huge high-tech uh, uh, nation. Everyone here works in high-tech and, uh, and it's just natural for this to happen. Yes, the... Uh... The platform we're speaking on, Riverside, this is not a plug, is uh, is based in Israel. I mean, there's just it, yep. Israel technology is 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 universal and very well respected here, certainly here in the in, in the U.S. So, um, you did talk though. Let's see. I'm going to look at one thing here. One thing. Uh, one thing you did um, talk about is mobile. And what were we, would we talk to people in Africa? Would we talk to people in Asia, Southeast Asia, India? It's like mobile yeah. is the future there. Yeah. So, but, but what I hear you saying is maybe mobile is not as, uh, as popular or as much a part of the future in, in your part of the world. Well, I think that, you know, um, uh, first of all, we need to distinguish um, when we talk about esports, we talk specifically about competitive video gaming. That means tournament, that means professional players and so on. Uh, there is no doubt that mobile is becoming uh, the most popular platform for gaming everywhere in the world. Uh, that includes the US, that includes Europe, and uh, of course, East Asia and, uh, and Africa, and uh, by the way, Latin America as well. It's, uh, it's huge there. When we talk about esports, obviously, as mobile become more and more prominent as a, as a popular uh, gaming platform, it will also become more prominent as an esports platform. Um, but it's definitely much more uh, prominent right now in East Asia, in Africa and Latin America than it is in Europe and in North America. And Israel is uh, more inclined uh, to the trends of Europe than to the rest of the world. Um, we are very much uh, similar to, to, to a European country. Um, you know, people that have visited Israel or lived here and then lived in Europe and in other places would say that, okay, this, this country is more Europe than anything else. Um, 
so so even mobile gaming in in terms of esports is uh, is uh, non-existent here basically unlike other countries but it will also become i think popular as the medium reaches uh, more popularity i do think that um i i don't have this kind of focus that is shared among a lot of people in the industry that mobile is going to take over uh, i don't think it's going to take over because the the, the players are different the skills requires are, uh, the skill requirements are different and so on i think it will achieve sort of a very honored place within esports where it is about 30 percent or 40 percent of the entire esports competitions will happen on mobile and the others will continue to be on pc and console because you know those are different games those are different different titles and almost different sports um even if the games are similar even if you play fortnite on pc or you play fortnite on mobiles it's kind of two different games because the way you play is very different um so so i think that you know um it will stabilize around there uh, globally in the next 20 years uh and then you will have three major platforms which will be pc and console which is at some point will probably merge and then you have the mobile yeah one of the things i've been seeing here lately is um xbox is on samsung tvs and it's like as soon as soon as that you know you lose that piece of hardware that xbox unit and it's yeah in you know, you do game pass on your tv it's just interesting to see how things things are changing here one of the things i want to also talk about is your work with uh windsard see if i'm pronouncing yeah. that one right it's yeah, like you are. because it's a very because, interesting name you know windsard is my uh nickname in all gaming uh you know <sighs> ever since i was six it's windsard i was like a six-year-old guy i i uh, downloaded, I think it was MU Online. It's a very old uh, MMORPG game. And then I had to create a character and I chose to be a wizard in the, in the game. And then I've, you know, I, I barely know English at this point and the name has to be in English. So I was thinking, okay, I know the word wizard and I also know the word win because I want to be a winning wizard. So it's just wizard and then it's stuck and then it's here for 20 years. <laughs> no, that's great. No, that, that's a great little, uh, little backstory there. So I want to talk a little bit about you do a consultancy, you do business development sort of yeah. things. One of the things I keep hearing you talk about is follow the money. It's like you're, a lot of the organizations, it's like, where's the funding coming from? It's like, who is funding other 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 industries, other activities, and how can we get a piece of that in the esports world? But on the commercial side, you're also involved in business development. Can you explain a little bit about what Windsor does and what you do there? Yeah, well, Windsor is basically a brand name for me. Uh, after I finished, uh, I, I used to have a, a production company in Israel that did all this kind of esports event, and it uh, uh, unfortunately the market was not big enough to sustain it. Um, and after that, I started working as a as a private consultant using Windsor as sort of a brand name, and it kind of developed from there. And um, there are a lot of interesting projects that I was involved in. Um, but but mainly 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 within this business i do consultation uh for companies that and people that want to get into esports and don't know how to do it and also for existing businesses to understand how to make money because a, a, a thing in esports that a lot of people don't uh, realize is that right now in 2022 it's not very easy to make money in esports um and even the big companies in esports uh, and i'm not talking about game publishers and so on which make their money through uh you know the game and not the esports but the game the microtransactions and the and so on talking about the esports guys uh they are not always finding it very easy to to make money there because 
um, it's it's not very trivial, you know, um, because how do you treat it? Uh, and usually in esports, if you look now at the at the at the revenue uh, um, breakdown, you would see that 60% of all esports revenues in 2022 came from sponsorships. That means commercial advertisers that uh, you know. Um, buy into those competitions uh, in, for promotion, promotional and marketing purposes. And then they, this is how they fund the events. But also this comes with the cost. Uh, you have to give up part of the branding of the event to the sponsor. You also sometimes have to get some sort of dictations from what you want to do and what you don't want to do in, in the game. This hasn't been a big problem in esports so far, but it can become a bit. This is actually something that when you talk about, for example, the International Olympic Committee, if they get into esports and they will start dictating that you can't do what they deem violent games or what you can't do this, you can't do that. So that's what they're afraid of. Um, so this is something that that exists. And also you want to diversify because, you know, right now there is a... a harsh economic times let's say all over the world and suddenly sponsors are not so inclined to to pay the sponsorship fees that they used to pay in esports um so you want to diversify the revenue streams within the industry how do we do that and and this is kind of those questions that i have to deal with in the consultation business how do we take this kind of revenue stream that is now amounting to 60 70 percent of the entire uh, revenue of the company and we make it 30% without harming the, the amounts, but we find then other sources of revenues. And we're talking about you know merchandising and ticket sales, and this is super important because I think that in order for the industry to become sustainable, the portion of merchandise and ticket sales, which is the direct contribution of the fan, of the esport fan to the sport, must increase. It must increase in order to 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 make it sustainable. And you also have this kind of media rights, which is kind of something from the old, uh, you know, old world of the sports guys that used to do a broadcast of a soccer match or football matches, we say. And and you know, they sell this to channels, TV channels all over the world, linear TV channels. Now linear TV uh, in my country and actually in most countries of the world sounds like an archaic technology. You know, who cares about linear? Who cares if the game is at seven? I can watch it at ten if I want those VOD, those catch up there's all kind of technologies so esports didn't enjoy uh, a lot of revenues for media rights uh, because you know it's all broadcasted broadcasted on twitch tv for free so then you know uh, companies like twitch are looking how we can get more esports competitions here and not push them towards the traditional media rights uh, deals so they also give them a share of uh, of the advertising done on the platform and the same is done on youtube gaming and, and facebook gaming and uh, mixer uh, that uh, doesn't exist anymore but you used to to do it as well um and I think this is kind of a trial and error that the industry is doing, uh, uh, not very consciously, but it's happening, to try to understand how to um, increase the portion of other revenue streams that are not sponsorships within the industry. Uh, so the full reliance that it has right now on sponsorships and investment will you know, decrease over the years. Because if it continues uh, to go in this way where the entire money of the industry is coming from investors and sponsors, at some point, it's, you know, at some point, investors will stop investing, sponsors will find other very sexy uh, promotional avenues to invest in, and the entire thing would crash. So 
what you want to do is you, you want to make sure that every business finds a more sustainable way to, to make money. I, th- I think one of the things that um, when you're touching on media rights here in LA, for example, it was just announced that USC and UCLA, the sports programs are going to go to another conference. I think the big 10 from, from, from the PAC 12. And the reason, the only reason they did it was because they can each get another hundred million dollars a year in revenue for the media rights, because they have a, it's it just a much larger um, conference. I mean, a much more popular conference than the one they were in. I mean, that's the only reason that they went there, which I mean makes complete sense to me. I also th- think that a lot of times people use the the revenue in gaming to explain how big esports is, and just as you're describing the esports portion, it's like you can you can see at one point, you know, two billion dollars gaming. Hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, it's completely different, but, but a lot of people for all kinds of reasons don't always make that distinction that you are there. I also th- thought it was interesting. You're talking about how to expand beyond sponsorship because here, you know, so many people are like, how can we get more sponsors? How can we get more sponsors? It's like, well, maybe you don't always but that's a problem, need, you know, need that's more That's a big problem. Because, uh, you know, th- this is kind of uh, when I get client, usually that's the first question. How do we get more sponsors? And, and you know, that, that's when we start the discussion of do you want to get more sponsors or do you want to enrich the way that you make money? Because right now it sounds that it's like a very dependent kind of a relationship. You know, it's very dependent and, you, and no one wants to be dependent on someone else. So... Um, it's it's a super important thing, and this is actually connects to what I said before. That what, why do you need to diversify the revenue streams? Because if if you always chase the money, you chase the next investor, the next sponsor, that you don't then you don't really achieve your ambition. Because you 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 started a company, you wanted to do something, you wanted to make a change, you wanted to drive forward the industry, and so on. Uh, if you find yourself always chasing the next sponsor and the next um um you know the next uh, investor then you are too busy with the day-to-day. You are not really focusing on grand strategy. So usually the work we do is to, you know, a little bit change the organizational structure. So there will be a unit that is dedicated to making this money and finding the sponsor. While as a leader, as a leader of a company, as a CEO or whatever, business development officer and so on, you have to focus on diversifying, on finding new ways to make money, finding new ways to reach audience and so on, uh, because this will make you less dependent on, you know, on the next deal. You don't want to, to be in a situation where you are dependent on the next investment round or you are dependent on the, the next sponsorship round. The important thing for every company in esports, but in general as well, is that if you want to grow, yes, you can go to find another investor, but the important thing is that you'll be sustainable. That means that you can live without an investment for a year or for two years. That means that you make enough money on your own. And the same goes for sponsorships. Um, and, and, you know, I really like the the um, the way that the industry is going, especially in North America, to content creation. So a lot of teams and and uh, and esports clubs are also hiring content creators, streamers, and so on to diversify. And diversification is super important for this kind of business. And you can see also from uh, sports, by the way. Uh, that sports clubs are not making money solely from sponsors, but they have other benefits that esports clubs do not. For example, they own stadiums. You know, that, that's prime real estate that you can use for football matches. You can use it for events. You can use it for stuff. 
um, and they have all these other assets that the esports do not. So um, this is exactly the point. You need to find a way to yes, sponsorship will always be a big deal, maybe the biggest sponsorship, the biggest uh, revenue stream forever in esports. But you also need to make sure that we increase the portion of other revenue streams, so we are not so dependent on sponsorships and investments only. When you do, you also work with investments there, getting investments in esports. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, for my side, uh, my, uh, let's say more expertise uh, with investors is basically on the technology, uh, side. So in Israel, investors are less interested in esports or in marketing, but they are more interested in, in, in technology. What kind of technology you can develop that no, nobody else has? Uh, and what kind of, of invention and innovation you can have that nobody else has? So this is something that is really interesting to investors. Sometimes I do find myself. Uh, working with businesses that are uh, selling themselves as a technology business in order to raise their, uh, their, raise their valuation and, and find more money, but they are not a technology company. Um, and, and, you know, that's a problem because developing a website, everyone can do that. That's not a technology. That's not something that an investor would need to, to, to invest in, you know? Um, so, so. This distinction actually helps because uh, when you understand that you are not a technology company, but you still uh, work in a very exciting industry in esports, there are a lot of reasons why to invest in esports because it's growing very rapidly. Um, then you can really focus the message. And when you focus the message, you can help get more investors. It's less something that I am personally experienced in, but uh, you know, the. The fundamental uh, principle of investments are, uh, you know, basically the same everywhere. Um, you, you need to tell the truth, but you also need to tell it in a way that the story is engaging and is interesting to the investor. Because, and, and you know, this connects me full circle to the beginning of the conversation about politics, Good. you know, because politics is everywhere. And, and the difference between business and politics is business is based on data and, and the numbers and politics is based on feelings of emotions. So it, sometimes an investor would give you money, especially if it's not a VC, but an angel investor, they would give you money because they like you, because they believe in you as a person, not because the business makes sense. And, and a lot of people need to understand that this can be destructive as much as it can help build it. And, you know, the, the, the important thing to understand everywhere, not just in esports, everywhere in the world, and this has been my uh, life principle, as we say, that the world is run by people, not by machines, not by computer. People run the world. People make decisions. A lot of times those decisions are based on, um, let's say, subjective emotion and not objective uh, data. And whether it's wrong or right, I'm not getting into that. I'm getting this is how the world works, and we need to work in a way that that complements it. So. Um, in investments, in sponsorships, everything is the same. And it, this is what politics is about. It's about understanding the person you're talking with, not the company that you're talking about, but the person you're talking with, their interest, their ideology, and how you speak to them directly. This is a very big chunk of what I deal with. I think one of the things you find if you talk to anyone who's invested in any startups of any kind, it's they're investing in the person. They're investing in the founder. Absolutely. They, for the most part, they could care less. Because maybe this will work, maybe it won't. But if they see someone that they, they know is going somewhere, they want, to, they want to be involved with them. One final question we ask everyone here, because this, this is really a good conversation. I really appreciate you bringing this stuff up. But one of the things we ask everyone is, and I think I already know the answer, should the Olympics include esports in their program? Why or why not? 
Uh, well, um, you know, I, I was uh, representing the International Esports Federation in the, in the Olympics uh, Esports Liaison Group, which was a committee that was dedicated to create a... Oh, that's what we should have been talking about. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> to get some sort of advice or some sort of a policy a recommendation for the, Olymp- uh, the Olympic movement to, to say about esports and what they should do. So you ask me if they should... Uh, recognize it. I think that it is their absolute interest to recognize it much more than it is the, the interest of the esports world for them to be recognized. Um, I think that both sides can profit, but the Olympics can definitely uh, benefit much more from, from this kind of deal. But if they do it right, because the International Olympic Committee tried to do something uh, in the latest Olympics that was called the Olympic um, Virtual Series. It was a cute program, but it wasn't very relevant. The, you know, because when you choose games that nobody play, uh, because it uh, is similar to cycling or to, to other sports, that's fine because it connects to the values of sports, of physical activity that the Olympics are trying to promote. And that's completely fine and reasonable. But the reason to include esports in the Olympics is first and foremost is that the young people are there. So if the young people are there in esports that it looks right now like League of Legends and Counter-Strike and Rocket League, don't try to change it to, to cycling and whatever because you will lose the young people like that. They will not be there. They are not interested in what you have to tell them. The reason that you want to include esports is because you want the young people to come there. So you need to adopt a little bit the values and what young people care about and not what uh, those guys uh, necessarily care about even and, and again I'm not you will notice the entire conversation I'm not uh, getting into the conversation of what is right or wrong because those are very sub- subjective uh, ideas but what is the reality in the world and the reality in the world that esports right now has more viewership than the Olympics I think or at least is very close to it so um, it, there is no absolutely no doubt of where it's going to be I think the esports world will benefit from uh, recognition by the Olympic movement if uh, they will provide it. I think it will give legitimacy to the esports world, but at the same time, young people care less about this kind of legitimacy and more about the superstar and the pro players. So this is something to consider, something to think about. Yes, yes. One of the things I've heard you talk about, the approach that I really like you bring is that it, there's not right, there's not wrong. It's not like, it's not like this is the way it should be done. Sort of, and that's one of the reasons that I really like doing this podcast is because I'm not c- coming here from California saying this is the way it should be done because I'm the expert. It's like, no, I want to hear from other people's stories, just like yours, so that people can learn and that they can, can see from around the world how people are, are approaching esports, approaching the business. We usually talk about jobs here. We didn't necessarily pinpoint jobs in esports, but everything that you're talking about, whether it's investment, whether it's organizations that are out there, they're going to support entrepreneurs who are creating the jobs. And that's what's really important. Hey, I really appreciate your time today. It's really great to hear information about Israel, about the organizations that that you are involved with there. And you, you said you're, you're headed to R- Romania tomorrow? Yeah, I'm going to Romania tomorrow. I wish we had more time. I think there is still a lot to talk about that we hadn't covered. But, you know, there is uh, always uh, other chances. And uh, I don't know when this podcast is going to air. But uh, if uh, the listeners have a chance, they can feel free to log into Twitch and view the great performance of our uh, European CSGO Championship starting tomorrow. We will put some links in the, w- when it does show up, um, when we do publish it. Because it, it's always interesting for people to make the connection between who who it is that they're they're listening to and what <clears throat> what exactly 
they're doing. So again, really appreciate it. Invite everyone to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Absolutely. us on social media because that's where we will let you know when great episodes just like this one are going to be published. We have some really good guests, just just like Ido here, who are talking about esports from around the world. Thanks again for listening. This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives.